0: Hello and welcome to the Sports grade podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And joining me as per usual is Dizzy Gillespie himself, Reuben Williams.
1: How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Way back when I used to have hair that would replicate <laughs> Dizzy Gillespie, the long flowing brown locks. Uh, but I've never made a double century in my life until now. So uh, yes. it's been a long journey. We yes. made it to 200 episodes, but it's fantastic to finally be here. For those uh, just
0: checking in, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, we say that because he once made a 200 against Zimbabwe. He's an Australian cricketer. So whenever someone hits 200, we call it a Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, but as he said, 200 episodes. Holy moly. I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty wild. I did not think we would get here when we first started recording. Yeah. <laughs> did,
0: did you think when we had our basically our microphones strapped to – you know, uh, coffee tables in Torquay when we mm. uh, recorded our first episode that we'd do 200 of them.
1: I knew we wouldn't do 200 in that scenario. No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew things had to change pretty quickly it's if we wanted to. get we got old. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, mm. But no, amazing stuff. I, I've got a quick stat for you. I uh, did a bit of research during the week. Uh, according to ResearchGate, which is an international research company, uh, 56% of podcasts have only ten episodes or fewer, really? And also, seventeen percent of podcasts have fifty episodes or more. Wow! So we're
1: in—I uh, guess—we're in the top seventeen percent. Yeah,
0: we're in that little tiny percentage. What about
1: above one hundred and then two hundred?
0: Well, I didn't get that far, uh, <laughs> but I would—I'd be pretty confident in saying that a low percentage would have over a hundred or even two hundred.
1: I would think so too. Anyway, shout out to us for the longevity. Yeah,
0: (laughs) absolutely. Um, Ruse, before we get cracking, a shout out to our good friends at Deakin. Being our 200th episode, it is a really great milestone for us uh, and we could not have done it without Deakin University. Mm. Um, Their courses, you know, sports management, sports science, best sports science school in the The world. world. Mm. Uh, Sports management, um, their master's is ranked number one in Australia. So... If you haven't done a university degree or you've just finished studying and looking into post-grad qualifications, jump to Deakin University. We can't recommend it enough. Mm. Um, It's your one-stop place to start your sports career.
1: Mm. And the people coming out of Deakin have been the most successful people in our community. Yep. So a quick shout out to those people in the sports grad community who are out there finding their first full-time job. And we've been able to help our community members land 238 jobs in the sports industry, of which 152 have gone to Deacon students, which is 65%. Yeah. Wow. So they're doing a great job, Deacon. They're they pushing are. them through. We're just giving them the extra ingredients and helping them find great yeah. opportunities. So it's been a really good partnership.
0: A super quality partnership right there. But um, thank you to Deakin. Um, alrighty, episode 200 been building up to this for a few weeks now i'm very excited what have we got planned
1: well ryan in episode 100 we introduced the idea of the eight principles to get a job in sport without getting lucky and now another another 100 episodes have passed since that time and over that period the eight principles have stood the test of time and proven to still be uh true so For today, we've gone back to the eight principles to remind you of what are the steps you need to take if you want to get a job in sport. And we've got a fresh bunch of examples from the last 100 episodes from our brilliant guests on how they've executed on each of these eight principles. So without further ado, Ryan, let me jump into number one of the eight steps. Let's do it. Number one. Take time to discover why you want to work in sport, because a clear vision is more attractive than a skill set. Now, to set the scene for this one, have a listen to Kimberly Finesse. She is the head of people and culture at Netball Australia, and she explains why it's important to sports organizations that you are connected to a purpose. So here she is.
2: I
3: think in the sports industry specifically, having a purpose and actually connecting to it is so important. Uh, Every company has a purpose but when you're talking with people who are really passionate about something that they believe in, you can see it in their mannerisms, you can hear it in their voice. And for me, when I'm interviewing a candidate or I'm speaking to a colleague, you and both of you would understand this, sport's about storytelling and you'll feel that connection that they have and sport's about memories. So when you're interviewing someone, the difference between being a really passionate fan or being a really purposeful person who has those memories and has that storytelling, it just shows through in spades. You can see it in their eyes, the tone, uh, the inflection in their voice and their mannerisms, and it it just makes for a more joyful conversation.
1: Beautiful. So that's Kimber. She's the Head of People and Culture in Netball Australia, episode 128 if you want to check her out. But someone who executes this beautifully in their job is uh, our good friend of the show, Tom Scolle who's living over in Perth. He's the founder of Cricket Mentoring. He features in episode 140 where he shared his startup story about starting his business. Mm. And um, one of the great things about Tom is that the reason why he started his business is because he had this failed – I wouldn't really call it you know, overly failed, but in his mind he feels like he failed as a professional cricketer. And one of the things that he failed at was – Um, getting really good on the mental side of the game. You'll hear him talk about how he could not sleep the night before his biggest match. He was playing at Lords over in England and the mental side of his game caused him to slip up. He got dropped, was no longer a professional cricketer and that was his reason for wanting to give back. So have a listen to Tom and his story for why he wants to work in sport.
4: I'm trying to be the mentor that I wish I had because I feel like I had some good coaches, I had some good senior people um, around me, but... Uh, If I had a consistent person to talk to and ask questions of, then I feel like I might've performed at my best more consistently. And therefore my, I might've had a longer professional career. So um, it's those mental and emotional skills that I wish I knew when I was younger. I'd done a bit of coaching before, especially over in England as an overseas pro part of your package is to do some coaching and I'd never really enjoyed it. And I just went to this session expecting to sort of like get, get a bit of extra money and whatever. And, but the, the, I got a real buzz out of helping this boy who was pretty good um, at 13. But I got a real buzz out of helping him get better and suggesting something and him doing and and it working and things. And I thought, wow, that was and I, I loved it. Yeah, my my sort of if I'd had a more successful career career professionally as a player, I probably wouldn't be running cricket mentoring. And okay. I feel like I feel like. It probably happened for a reason. And and there was a podcast where Em Murray, who's a mindfulness coach, she's worked with the Richmond Tigers and with um, Will Pukowski, she says that we're all all on our own journey and, and things work out the way they're supposed to work out. And she talks about how she was a netballer and she didn't make it or she wasn't as good as some of the others. And if she'd known then that the reason she probably wasn't going to make it would help her become the mentor that she now is, well, then she would have been sort of more okay with things. And if I'd known when I was 24 that, well, you haven't made it as a player, but you're going to become this sort of mentor and coach and help others, well, then things, things do work out. So I think what you said about, yeah, like it's all like part of the journey is, is mm. absolutely mm. true. And, yeah, I'm just really passionate about what I do. I'm really passionate about helping others live their best life, and that's through cricket.
0: Yeah, awesome. That was like such a good quote. From skulls, And I remember that episode, it was just awesome to hear that he kind of recognised that he did have a bit of a shortfall and he was like, look, I am now committed to helping people improve in a, in a place where I felt that I wasn't quite there. Um, and, you know, in, in that quote, I know he, he said, you know, he, when he started to coach people, he started to just get a complete buzz because he felt like he was helping almost like he was helping a mini of himself to get mm. to that point where he was, like, on top of his mental game. Mm. Um, so that, that's sometimes what it takes, you know. Sometimes it's, it might be a downfall or it might just be stepping into something that you didn't even know you could do and you end up absolutely loving it because, as, as he mentioned, you know, he kind of got pushed into coaching. He wasn't, like, actively seeking coaching, you know, opportunities. It just kind of happened. Mm. And just from that, he found that he was just getting that buzz and he went over and beyond what a normal coach would do. He was mm. giving players mental programs to go and, you know, study before they go out to bat, like things like that. It's not just a simple half an hour net session. He just he took it completely on because he could mm. relate to it so well.
1: Exactly right. It's, yeah, you're right. He's been pushed into it, but then also it's found, he's found this beautiful connection with his own experience, which yeah. is... Amazing. And why he's doing such a brilliant job of it. Like you, you look him up on Instagram and, and YouTube, his following is Crazy. phenomenal Crazy. and he deeply, deeply cares, which is the most important thing. Yeah. So for anyone listening to this and you're wondering how do I find my purpose in sport? Why do I want to work in sport? How do I articulate that? Well, I'm going to throw back to to Kimberly to explain this in episode 128.
3: Think about your memories. Think about the why. I think one of the most important things, and I talk to people uh, throughout the induction process about this is why do you want to work in sport? Now, it's not for the money. It's not for the accolades. Uh, there are some great benefits and you have some great colleagues. I mean, the people that work in sport, I mean, you got to say we're pretty okay. Here we so are. We're okay. We're here for a reason,
0: you know. So. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. It's, um, it's finding that pathway to what your purpose is and I think a lot of people who come straight out of school, they think they know what that purpose is and that's going to evolve in the first two, three years and that's completely fine. I say to um, our deacon interns when they come in, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Um, do, you, do you actually know what you want? And they say, I want to do X, Y and Z." I go, great, why? And they stop and they have to think about it. Whereas others will say, "Well, when I was younger, my dad, or my friend, or my cousin, or you know, they'll tell you about an experience." And usually, your memories and your experience are what create that purpose for you, and they give you that drive.
1: There you go, Ryan. Just dig into your memories.
3: Yeah,
0: I still remember <laughs> that episode, Rose, as well. We spoke about when we were doing induction at cricket, and we they almost said to you, like, "Why? Why do you want to work in cricket?" And you had to bring in a photo. Or something from home that represented what cricket meant to you, um, and you know a lot of people had a whole different bunch of stuff. I don't know I brought in like a backyard cricket photo of playing with my family and friends and things like that, um, and that's the kind of stuff you need to look back on. It's like yeah, that was really special to me. That's why I want to be here.
1: Mm, absolutely, and that that ability to tell that story why it's important to you is you know a whole paragraph mm. that most people express as passion yeah but when you say the word passion people just completely gloss over you and miss the point what does that mean exactly right (laughs) tell the story (laughs) love it so that was point number one find out why you want to work in sport principle number two when you're starting out acquire easily attainable opportunities at grassroots clubs charities and university societies now one of the greatest people that we've ever had in this podcast is dr peter brookner who was the man holding Kathy Freeman's gold medal <laughs> while she was at her media commitments at the Sydney Olympics after she just ran that famous four hundred metres? And unbelievably, it all started in grassroots for Brooker. You have a listen to his story.
5: Ironically, uh, it was my involvement with Uni Blues that actually gave me my big sort of break in, uh, in sports medicine. Uh, I remember I um, I got a gig. I got invited to. Uh, Accompany the, the Australian team to the World University Games, So World Student Games. Had never taken a doctor before, um, and uh, I got a phone call from the lady who headed Melbourne Uni Sport and said, "Look, you know, you've been a great contributor in sport, blah blah blah. You know, um, you know, would you like to would you accompany the team?" And I thought, "Wow, that's fantastic." And uh, then she said, the only problem is you've got to pay for yourself. And I thought, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, we'd just come back from overseas and just got married had you know, bought a house, had zero money. So I went home, told uh, my dear life, my wife, and she said, oh, well, it's pity you can't go. I said, no, no, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> and um, she rolled her eyes for the, you know, hundred thousandth time in our relationship. And, um, and, and I just sort of thought, I really couldn't afford to go. To be honest, but uh, you know, you miss three or four weeks' work. You don't get paid at all. You actually have to pay your, your way. But I just thought it was uh, that was my opportunity. You know, you've got to get you got to get an opportunity. When you get that opportunity, you know, you've got to grab it. And uh, to me, that was my opportunity. You know, I had a chance to uh, to show what I could do. And from then on, you know, that was the thing that that you know. Gave me my big uh, my big break really and um, so indirectly it was you know due to my sort of long involvement with with a, a sporting team you know having played there and, and been involved there and so on so um, yeah I went off to uh, to Edmonton in Canada the World Student Games and then you know I met a whole bunch of people there in swimming and athletics and then got invited to look up the swimming team the athletics team and just things went from uh, from there I did you know th- two more World Student Games in Japan and uh, and uh, in Zagreb and then. Um, yeah, then did the swimming team for a while, then did the athletics team, and uh, and you know, a whole bunch of a uh, bunch of things. So it was sort of a bit of luck, but it was also um, you know just the fact that I'd put in the hours and and you know volunteered and so on. And I think that's one of the really uh, important things uh, in I think in, in sport more than anything. You know, there's this culture of volunteering, and um, you know, I I did lots of volunteering over time. You know, I'd, I'd go down to. I loved athletics, and and I used to go down every Thursday night to into club at, at Olympic Park and just uh, sit in the meek room and uh, and look after people with a couple of friends who are physios. And everyone thought I was crazy, but you know I finished up being the you know Australian athletics team doctor and went to two Olympics. So, you know, you sort of uh, you've got to put in the put in the hard yards. You know, you can't just sort of. Nowadays, I get people saying, "Oh, well, you know, you know." I've been doing sports medicine for a year. So it's, you know, it's, uh, so, uh, it's
1: time I did the Olympics. Hang on. It's not quite that easy. It's time I did the Olympics. I want to know. His... <laughs> <laughs> so there's Brookie, episode 112, former doctor of the Australian Olympic team, the Socceroos, the Australian cricket team, you name it. He's Liverpool. done it. Liverpool. Oh, just to name a small club. He's I reckon he's, uh, he's up there with the
0: best resume. Oh, I've had.
1: absolutely.
0: Some of the, the clubs and organisations on there, unreal. But um, no, nah, I love that from Brookie. You know, he spoke about and just how he had all went down to his grassroots club. At the time, it was University Blues Footy Club. Um, started volunteering, just spending time in the change rooms, essentially just helping people through their injuries. Um, and he did it for free, obviously, and people thought it was nuts. So it just shows like he got the opportunity at the Global Games because he just put in the time. People recognised that he was there and he wanted – he had that thirst and wanted to get there. So put in the time um, and he put in an absolute tonne of it um, and you'll make that impact and make an impression.
1: And now people are lining up to do their work experience at the university – Lose football club just to work under Brookie because yeah. he's got so much experience. Yeah. And people start to recognise that grassroots is literally where you've got to start out. Yeah. But the best thing is you don't have to put in a resume. <laughs> no. Just
0: offer your your
1: time. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty simple. Exactly. All right, principle number three learn to create examples, learn to sell yourself. If you can do both, then you will climb rungs. Now, I'm going to throw back to our friend Kimberly. Episode 128, Head of People and Culture at Netball Australia. Uh, She talks about why telling a story is a really compelling way to sell yourself. Have a listen to what she's got to say.
0: What do you look for in a cover letter?
3: Personality. I think you need to stand out from the crowd, but you need to stand out in a manner that shows that you're bold and courageous, but not arrogant. The flow of this young lady's letter was just beautiful she she connected with all of the things that tug our heartstrings when we work in sport. So she threw that sentence out there from the get-go and, you know, when, when you're sitting back and you're getting applications and there's over 100 of them and you read that first line, I refer to your recent advertisement for X, Y and Z, and they're all exactly the same, all exactly the same. And then I've picked up one and this young girl is she's, I could basically hear her tone with her, pointing her finger at me going, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to wear the baggy green. And I went, oh, okay. And I thought, that's really arrogant. And then I went through the rest of the letter and I thought, oh, no, she tugged at my heartstrings. So I had an instant connection to her. She talked about her memories, her family, her roots in the community, and she wove that into the values that Cricket Australia had. So she had this beautiful connection piece. So there was no way I was not going to meet her in person. And I think it's a really fine line when you're writing a cover letter to not be an overeager fan, which no offence against any of our fans, but, you know, you get some letters where it's just all about fandom, which is fantastic. But we also want to know, why, why do you want to create that fandom? Now, Why do you want to be a part of this? Why do you want to be a part of history? Why do you want to create memories for kids of the future? So it's a really fine balance, but it's also putting your personality into it. So we have that instant connection.
1: Right. I love that quote about you need to stand out in a way that shows you are bold and courageous, but not arrogant. Um and the person that she's talking about, you can see how she's created an instant connection with Kimberly. She's caught her attention. Kimberly's now bought into the story of this person in the cover letter. Um, and when you tell your story, the way you sell yourself is by showing what you do and what you care about rather than say rather than telling. And a lot of people enter an interview and they just tell people how good they are. Yeah. They say, Oh, you know, tell us about an example where you've had to work in a team and they'll say, Oh, look, I'm I'm really naturally gifted leader I work really well with these people it's like cool you're just saying things to me I've
0: got really good leadership skills
1: yeah there's <laughs> nothing there's nothing behind that but when you tell your story it shows people what you're about and people are smart enough to draw insights out of that that represent your ability so um show rather than tell through storytelling is the main takeaway there someone else who was an expert storyteller uh, and connecting with people is Hamish McLaughlin now have a listen to his take on this
6: when Roger Federer plays Novak Djokovic, put your hand up if you want Roger Federer to win. When Roger Federer plays Andy Murray, put your hand up if you want Roger Federer to win. Yeah. So, so it is because he's told his story better and you've emotionally connected with him and you've fallen in love with him over the years, more so than you have Novak or Andy. So it, it's sort of just common sense that if you can connect with the interviewer, and have them emotionally connect with you, the hand goes up when they've got to make a decision whether they're going to employ Ryan or Ruben. I connected with Ryan. I didn't quite connect with Ruben because the CVs are both brilliant. Who am I going with? Human nature says the guy that I connected both with and want to spend more time with.
1: I love Hamish's example that he's used between Roger and Novak. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And when you put that in your mind, it's kind of like, wow, I, you know, I want to be Roger. I don't want to be Novak. Yeah, absolutely. I want, <laughs> I want people to connect with me. Um, and when he goes on to talk about the human nature of connecting with people who tell their story, what's mm. actually going on is when people share their story and you listen to it, oxytocin is starting to be released in your brain. And that oxytocin uh, is incredibly important because it allows you to feel empathy. And that empathy is what leads to taking action off the back of that. So yeah. there's a bit of neuroscience behind what uh, Hamish is talking about. I was going to
0: say, he's really brought the science into, <laughs> into commentary, hasn't he? Yeah. Oxytocin, he knows all the toxins in, in your body. <laughs> 100%. He was, he was amazing.
1: Yeah. He was awesome. Absolutely. Now, someone else who's an expert at selling themselves, and he had to do this to be able to transfer his career from investment banking to the sports industry, is the CEO of Hockey Australia, David Pryles. We spoke to him in episode 171, and just have a listen to how he presented himself to make that jump into his dream job. It's all well and good to tell someone that, oh, you're good enough and you can do this and that.
7: But even from a hiring perspective, you want to actually see it on paper and someone presenting. So any role, Mm. you know, ever since the golf role and and the two CEO roles I'm in now, any role that I'm looking at at bringing on, I want to see a presentation because I want to see it in practice. Tell me what you're going to do and put it in writing. So, Is that from the coordinator role all the way to your exec team? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. So my first job in sport, I didn't come from sport. So I came from investment banking, and I missed out on three jobs because I didn't have sports experience. I had to do something different because I knew people were just submitting a CV, submitting a CV, and they had sports experience, so they were getting an interview. I needed to do something that that was going to get me an interview because I didn't have sports experience. So I put a presentation together for my first job in sport.
1: When they didn't ask for it?
7: No. Wow. And it was my transferable skills. I've still got it to this day. I've showed a a few people. So it was my transferable skills – That I could bring from investment banking into a sales role in sport, my contacts, and what I could do in the first 60 days. And I submitted that with my CV. And and I come from an aspect now of someone who employs people. Mm. If someone's going to do that and go over and above and show me that commitment, I'll give them an interview Mm. Mm. because they know that you know that they desperately want to roll. It's a bit like when people say they're passionate in the first line of a CV, Mm. uh, cover letter, sorry. Yeah, everyone's passionate you can or, say you that. or you wouldn't work in sport, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> but take that out and actually show me your passion in in y- your work. I absolutely love that from David. I remember when
0: he said it and I remember your words, he said, but they didn't ask for it <laughs> and, I, and we played it there, but like I loved it because he knew exactly like he knew to a T like what his skills were and what he needed to show in that interview. Mm. And like that, I think that's what it takes. You know, sometimes you just need to know exactly what makes you really stand out to the interviewer. And if that means putting together a presentation, then absolutely go and do it. He's mm. just done that off his own bat. Yeah. Um, and look where it's got him. Like, uh, and, you know, he, he mentioned in there, like, if someone was to do that to him, he'd auto- automatically give them an interview. Because mm. it's like you've just gone above and beyond and you understand what you can bring to that team.
1: And his presentation is quite literally proof of his own initiative. Yeah. If they were to ask him, hey, David, do you have initiative? And he said, yeah, I've got pretty good initiative. Great. But he's literally just brought a presentation, which is him saying without saying it, I've got incredible initiative. So well played, David. I think a lot of people can take a lot of inspiration out of that.
0: Yeah. And even just the stuff on like the first 60 days, Mm. I'm in the role, I can do this. And I had this skill in my previous job. I can bring that to this. Like it's just, literally just reeling off examples of how he can do the job. So aced it.
1: Number four is invest time mixing socially with the people who are going to hire you because if you can thrive here, then you've ticked cultural fit. Now the man who we think has done best, done this best in the last 100 episodes is Max Abbott. He's the media and communications manager from episode 132 working at the T20 World Cup. Just have a listen to how he's ended up meeting the CEO of the T20 World Cup to get his job.
7: You know, by being involved at EAST, the guy on the committee there ended up getting a job as Hong Kong cricket CEO, which was how I was able to go up there. And then, well, actually, when I was in Hong Kong, I was thinking to myself, I'd love to work on the T20 World Cup. Someone volunteered to help us out with our commercial projects, and that person was Nick Hockley. Who came up to help us out? And so I was sort of mentored by him for over the course of six months. I had no idea he was going to be T20 World Cup CEO, but um, when I sort of came back to Australia and saw, you know, he was in that <laughs> position, I thought, you know, that at least there's someone for me to talk to about the role and find out about it. And I obviously still had to go through the whole process, but um, certainly, you know, it was very helpful, you know, insight to be able to have. So You know, there's definitely been a few sliding doors moments, so I do consider myself quite fortunate in that regard.
1: Pretty incredible how just hanging out in cricket circles can lead to the biggest cricket tournament on earth. But I think, um, what's really important in that is Max's ability to have a relationship with the first person involved in that chain. And that was a guy at his cricket club who led to the opportunity in Hong Kong, um, I know for some people, you know, if you've come from another country, it can be quite daunting to, you know, start to step out into a new culture and find ways to connect and all that. Mm. But the easiest way to connect is by building common ground. And sport is probably the most topical thing to find common ground on. And so entering into these grassroots clubs, you know, puts you in the space of the people who work in sport, the majority of people who work in sport. Yeah. So if you can thrive there, if you can mix with them socially there, then you're going to get pulled into all sorts of opportunities.
0: Yeah, 100%. And like it's just so easy to have a conversation with someone in a grassroot <laughs> club, right? You've got one thing in common, you're at a club playing a specific sport. So there mm. here you go. Start that off well. Job done. done. It's easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number five, LinkedIn allows you to publish your resume in a thousand different ways at scale. And most people haven't figured this out yet. Nope. <laughs> there's a great stat, Ryan, that says only 1% of people who have LinkedIn profiles actually post content. Yeah. So there's a lot of clear space to build a profile. It's not like Instagram, Facebook or TikTok where it's crowded and you're competing for attention. There's so much clear air on, on LinkedIn. Um, and I've previously told the story about how when I was made redundant from Cricket Australia, I used LinkedIn to get 12 job offers in the first month after finishing up there. More recently, LinkedIn led to our company getting investment, (laughs) which is pretty remarkable.
0: Thanks LinkedIn <laughs> yeah thank you.
1: Um, here's how it happened. This was taken from episode 169 where we talked about how we turned our podcast into a startup. I met Bennett in around September 2020 he popped up on LinkedIn and sent me a, a very nice message which was very cool because I've been following him for a long long time and so we kind of chatted for a bit just bounced ideas because we were just two like-minded people who were you know motivated to help people get jobs in sport and then we began iterating on the membership and we put a post out one day. I remember thinking, if we want to make changes to the membership, then we need to kind of give it a bit of a launch plan. So, if we're going to put this post out on Friday and that post out on Monday and then the other one on Tuesday, the week before, then it needs to start tomorrow. Yeah. This is about 11.30 p.m. at night. (laughs) So, I remember like dragging myself back out to the laptop and like crafting up some post and I was like, oh, let's just do it. (laughs) The next day woke up. The post didn't really get much traction at all. It was like 25 likes or something. But it did get a message from Shannon Gove, Bennett's cousin, fellow director at Spark Event Group, fellow co-founder of Event Workforce Group. And he just said, hey, really like the look of what you're doing. Went along to the tennis, never been to Rod Laver before, but then suddenly watching the semi-final between Sissy Pass and Medvedev. And yeah, Shannon was just sitting next to me going, Rubes, we love what you're doing. We just got to do some work together. Why don't you come into our office next week? Rocked up to the office. Shannon then starts saying, like, we love what you're doing. It's excellent. We can see it going quite far. And the same problem exists right around the world. What would it look like if we were to invest in you? There you go, Ryan. I think one of the main things from that is is how important it is to tell people what you're working on. Mm. Because you just never know who might be listening or who might be interested. Um and I know a lot of people who you know, would be working on different things to what, to what we're talking about and what we're dealing with every single day. Um, the principle is exactly the same. You've, everyone's got work examples that they're out there doing. The more that you can share of it, the more people might find use for you somewhere, somewhere else. Um, but for our, in our example, like if we were to change the membership or build something new and just send an email out to our members to say, hey, here's a couple of changes going, a lot of it just stays under the hood. The people who are mixing with it know about it and care about it, which is nice, but it's the extra opportunities in the big wide world of LinkedIn where everyone's connected yeah. that these amazing things can happen. And I've got no doubt that without LinkedIn, you know, we wouldn't have had that connection to those guys at spark who yeah. essentially helped us get us where we are today. So um, yeah, incredible platform. If you are going out there, just handing in resumes to everybody, just remember that you know one resume hand into one person is probably cost you an hour of time. Yep. You can split the same resume into about 10 different posts and get that reaching 10,000 different people. So there's efficient ways to do things. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Principle number six is get comfortable talking to people you don't know because opportunities exist in circles of people who trust each other and you're welcome to join those circles. Now, This example comes from Jason Chan, the Chief Medical Officer of the Melbourne
8: Storm, who we spoke to in episode 195. Have a listen to his case. And then I um, happened to be at the uh, MCC Grand Final Luncheon um, some uh, 10 years ago now, in any case, and and there's three of us mates who invite a few friends along. And um, on this particular luncheon, uh, the uh, football manager for the Melbourne Storm was there, a guy called Frank Panisi. And um, I eventually met Frank because he was on the opposite side of the table for me. Um, And about three hours later and about 12 beers later, (laughs) we ended up meeting each other and having a bit of a chat. And um, I found out what he did and he found out what I did. And I didn't know at the time, but they were looking for a a new doctor. And I had quite a lot of bravado during that sort of occasion. (laughs) And um, he told me the guys that he was – of the players in particular that they were getting surgeries for in the post-op season. And I had a reasonable amount of experience in that sort of area and told him what I thought of said operations and said persons, and I won't go any further. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me, he goes, listen, you seem to know a bit about perhaps what's happening around in Melbourne. And the doctor, to be fair, the doctor they'd had before that time was from England. Um, So he wasn't a a local doctor as such. And he said, Wilson, would you mind catching up for a drink in about a a week's time or a coffee? And I said, sure. And I'm true to his word and to his credit he gave me that call uh, a week later, and the um, rest is history. Essentially, the, the club took a punt on me in some respect, um, uh, and here I am eight years later, Fantastic. still doing the same job.
1: So that, let me go back to that that MCC luncheon. Was that an invite, or did you have to buy a ticket? Who, who do you owe thanks
8: to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I owe thanks to a, a mate of mine, Grant Weir, who uh, and there's, there was three of us. There's three mates have been together for a, a good 20 years or so. And um, for the past sort of, you know, 15 years or so, we've uh, we've taken this table at the, at the long room, it was, uh, on the day before the grand final, AFL grand final, and uh, we invite three or four guests each, and this is how it came along, and his guest was Frank Panisi on that particular occasion. So I've got him to thank for, probably, or more to commiserate with, to be sure when you look at it, really. Fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how it happened.
1: That's incredible. You're yeah. kind of building like your own little micro community by just introducing <laughs> your friends
8: to the people you know. That's, that's worked out extremely well. You know, I think that's that's probably how things work in sport, to be fair. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily a matter of what you know. It's uh, very, very much a matter of who you know or where you can otherwise get that leg up one way or another.
0: I love the Jason Chan story. Uh, <laughs> it's just awesome, though. Like, you know, he's gone to this MCG grand final luncheon, you know, does it every year. Like could see someone there could not he just happens to ha- meet a guy who he's, his mate is invited this happens to invite him he's from the melbourne storm and he's just willing to have a chat to him and willing to be you know just interested in what he's up to and and through that they've gotten into the conversation and he's able to have him put into it and like it's as simple as that mm. and literally him just giving his opinion and having his own obviously he's, he's a smart guy he's he's a doctor at the end of the day he knows what he's talking about by just sharing his opinion on something that's led to a coffee mm. and if you ha- like he could have just said oh yeah cool right, like, no worries but he was able to just connect with someone who he didn't even know mm. uh, and just share an opinion and that's led to something so incredible brilliant,
1: brilliant stuff the mcg
7: it?
0: luncheon might be the, the best networking event you can get to i
1: know gosh everyone be lining up to get tickets to that the yeah, afl Probably 30 grand or something. <laughs> Who knows?
0: You might see us there this year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably not.
1: If we get an invite from Jason. <laughs> yeah. But second doctor to make a feature in episode 200. So, you know, I would yeah. back a doctor to know what they're talking about. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> you trust every doctor, don't you?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Love it. Principle number seven discover your career path by pursuing your genuine curiosity. And I think the most curious man we've ever had on this podcast, without a doubt in my mind, is Jacob Tober from episode 173. And he's the head coach of Core Advantage. And he also runs a little application called VBT Metric, which stands for Velocity-Based Training. So he's yeah. doing a bunch of different things. But um, just have a listen to this clip from Jacob. You'll understand why he's excellent at what he does because he's just obsessed with it. <laughs> Academically as well, How how did you... Um, go about your study. You know, we mentioned as a student of the year, You're obviously very smart as well. But that comes with a lot of time and practice. What were you like during university?
9: I was pretty studious, so I'd, I'd go to all the lectures. I wouldn't do them online. I'd take notes. Um, I studied pretty pretty aggressively. Sports, science when I was doing it, I'm not sure how it is now, but it was quite a, a, sh- a minimal contact time in terms of hours. So I did go like for every hour I put in in a class, I was then doing another hour at home um and at the same time i was getting practice so from second year i was sports training for the sandy zebras in the vfl and i was taping ankles and i was you know grilling the physio and asking questions Mm -hmm. and learning how to massage and so i was kind of getting my hands dirty at the same time as doing the course and then i played my own sport as well so i was practicing what i was learning in class in my own you know junior basketball coaching my own sports training at the vfl team my own basketball my own gym work so was kind of do uh learning and then practicing in a few different environments so i had a good chance to sort of tweak and oh that's an interesting concept i'll try that with my junior basketballers oh that's an interesting training principle i'll try that my own you know strength workouts or whatever it might be Mm. so i think that combination of uh self-experimentation along with the theory stuff from deacon was really valuable
1: so it kind of like became your entire world you were like learning all these things at university and just applying them everywhere else which seemed to be a lot of aspects of your life because you're extremely sporty Absolutely,
9: yeah, and mm. that's uh, the uh, the beautiful thing about it. like doing a career and doing a course that you're really passionate about. It's like if you love artwork, then you're going to learn things in an art class, and then you're going to go home and you're going to draw and paint mm. and you know yeah. graphic design or whatever it is. And so for me, it was I'm learning about the body, I'm learning about physiology. Ah. The calf works like that. Well, I should be changing how I do my calf raises. I should be doing seated calves for the soleus as well as my standing for the gastroc. Or, you know, foot intrinsic muscles are really interesting. Oh, let's go do some barefoot work. So I was Mm. playing with all these ideas and then feeling them and then that was making it stickier. So that was making the information sticky because it's like, oh, that applies to three sets of 12 or 45-second rest periods or whatever that little thing was. And over the course of three years, you accumulate a lot of workouts Mm. and a lot of coaching sessions and they just sort of add it up.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting and like a a great example in terms of like, just how great people become great at what they do. You really have to immerse yourself in it um, because I know a lot, when I was a student, I would see myself and a lot of other students kind of go in, try and learn a few things and then go back into the rest of my life and just kind of zone out or forget about it. Whereas for the people who come out on top and do very well, it just, it just doesn't stop and it doesn't stop because you don't want it to stop. Like you, you're loving every minute of it or just about every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. And um it becomes easy to learn and easy to want to learn more and you become curious and all that sort of thing. So mm. um, it's just interesting kind of thinking about how do you become extreme, how do you get the most out of your degree? Well, you've really just got to be – Pick the right degree. Pick the right degree is probably <laughs> <Yeah>. the most <laughs> essential part of it all. <laughs> I
9: couldn't believe the students that would show up for sports science, practicing you know, VO2 max tests and rowing erg things, stuff like that, in their jeans and their like you know boots or high heels or whatever it was. Yeah. And then you go, oh, do you play sport? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> What's your degree? Oh, sport science with management. No, no, just sport science. Do you play sport? No, no, I hate sport. It's like, what are you doing? Go yeah. do health science. Go <laughs> yeah. do management. Do something like you don't have to be obsessed with sport to work in the sporting industry. There's lots of you know, there's marketing, there's sales, there's memberships, there's mm. health stuff, there's psychology. So many things other. Than, but it's like we're doing VO2 max tests. We're doing strength tests. We're running sprints. And he's like, oh no, I don't do that. Sorry. You know the old PE thing where they show up in the Crocs and oh, no, I've got a letter from mum. I can't do that class. Yeah. It's like you're paying money for this, you should be immersed in it. Yeah. And I was always the first to throw my hand. I was like, I want to try everything because if I'm if I end up down the physiology VO2 max testing, I want to know what the VO2 max test feels like so I can coach through that mm. or give tips to yeah. my athletes and things like that or or know what a good score is so that I've done I you know, I got a 55. That is amazingly hard. So if someone gets a 60, I'm like, you're doing really good. Like you know, and get a a sense for where my soon-to-be clients, members, athletes are going to be based on experience.
1: Ryan, I absolutely love what Jacob said there at the end about you're paying money for it. You should be immersed in it. Mm. And I think success comes in any field from enjoyment of solving the types of problems that you want to solve because you end up thinking about it all day, every day, and just spending more time in it just helps build that skill. And so it's no surprise to me that Jacob's become excellent in his field because he's so curious about how everything he was learning worked in the real world. You know, he said all this information that he would apply at his own basketball training just made it stickier in his mind. So he's got an incredible advantage over someone who is just half interested in that space, who doesn't want to apply it in their real world. Um which made me like really love how much passion he had. Um, about people who did sports science but didn't play sport because I was just kind of looking at a degree that might have sounded cool. And I think a lot of people fall into the bucket of pursuing a degree or a career path that they're kind of interested in, think could be cool, might have been pushed upon them in some cases, and they're not that interested in it. And they don't have that much success in it either because they're up against the likes of Jacob. Yeah. Like how can you compete against Jacob who's absolutely obsessed with this stuff? Yeah. And there are a number of different examples. Um, Ollie Gilbert, who I'm about to get to as well, is another person who's just obsessed with the type of consulting work he's doing in strategy space. Well, you're going to a stratosphere then. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sends these guys into <laughs> yeah. the stratosphere. Like they are head and shoulders above their peers because yeah. they're so curious about this stuff. So I think the main point of, pursue your genuine curiosity is that if you want long-term success, pick the right problem to solve as in pick the right degree, pick the right first job to go into because that's what Mm -hmm. you're going to do best at. And then finally principle number eight, invest so much time that it worries you if it's all worth it because that's how you know you're on track. Ollie Gilbert is a senior strategy consultant at Gemba. He featured in episode 175 Have a listen to the extra work that he's doing outside of his Monday to Friday, nine to five job.
6: My job was working in mergers and acquisitions at Deloitte, but I loved sport. It was, you know, as we talked about my number one passion. Um, So I knew outside of my day to day, I wanted to be involved um, to some extent. And one of my friends at the Melbourne High Footy Club worked at the MCC on weekends or at the MCG on weekends. And I was like, you know what? It's something a bit different. I get paid to watch footy in an aisle for free two or three times a week um you know what a great opportunity and what a great way to spend my weekend so i'd be working monday to friday um we were working based in melbourne but working out of sydney for the best part of two and a half years so so um,
1: so this is while you're working full time not while you're during school or at university
6: no this is while i'm working full time as a grad so yeah we'd be clocking up some pretty big um hours during the week and then the job that I got was to basically work as a ca- casual um, aisle person. So showing people to their seats, checking their tickets, letting them know where to sit. So I was doing that for probably 12 months. Um, and then <laughs> there were times where you know, you'd know get Put in a bad part of the mcg like i remember so clearly to this day um being behind the being behind the collingwood cheer squad one day when they were getting absolutely pumped and it was just chaos like people throwing beers everywhere fights and i was like <laughs> oh, no. is this really how i want to be spending my weekends all my mates are out there having fun um but randomly i got tapped on the shoulder by a lady who worked for the mcc so um yeah just out of nowhere she's like i've been watching you for a while i really like your demeanor um, I'd like you to sort of come up and meet the MCC committee. Met the MCC committee and they were like, we want you to work for us on match days. So I went literally from being the most junior person at the MCC to probably the most senior person out of a thousand employees in the space of five minutes. Wow. Yeah. Wow! So in terms of what my role was um, at the MCC, I was basically the match day assistant to Stephen Gough, who at the time was um, the CEO or president of the MCC. Um and I'd work on the door, I'd, if he needed me to run upstairs to the office and get him any fact or figure, um, it'd be helping out with that sort of stuff. Um, and it just gave me access to the who's who of sport um, in Melbourne and across Australia, I guess, which that's what gave me again, going back to your question, that's what gave me the fuel to be like, this is the industry that I want to work in because, mm. you know, on a match day, you might have the club boards, you might have the AFL exec. Um, you might have people from all around Australia. We had Joe Biden in when I was there, wow. which was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Far out. Um, oh, I was that game. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was massive. I've never seen a level of security like that before. Yeah. And obviously that was before he was president. Um, but that sort of gave me access to people within the industry, which all of a sudden um, I really respected. But I learned that, that there's a career in sport for people who really want it.
1: Mm was incredible. How long were you at the MCC for? Uh,
6: I was there casually for, I reckon, two and a half years. And for a year and a half, it was in that capacity working for the MCC committee.
1: And that was an incredible amount of time to work seven days a week yeah. on top of the stress of yeah. the consulting world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
6: it was... Um, I look back on it and really don't know how I did it. And <laughs> I remember so clearly... Um, one of the one of the major things where I'm like, okay, something needs to give way. Was I sat down with my parents one night after a long shift at the MCC, and they're like, "You get off a plane, you put your washing in the washing machine, and then you're <laughs> gone for the weekend, and then we see you for a little bit on Sunday night, and that's it." And they're like, "Something needs to give." Like, you, uh, you, And this was before flexible working. They're like, "You can either peel back Deloitte to four days a week if you want to continue the MCC." um or give up the mcc and very reluctantly i had to give up the mcc which felt like going through a breakup to be honest i was (laughs) devastated i used to i used to sit at games for you know the couple of weeks and months after looking up at the mcc committee box being like oh i wonder what's going on up there instead of watching (laughs) the footy but i'm missing
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i think um you you may not feel this because you're so passionate about it and loved being in the MCC every single day. But I think there's a level of humility to be able to step step back from the work that you're doing in the consulting world and say, I'm going to give my time to the MCC on the weekend for a much lower pay to yeah. watch these people throwing beer around and make sure everyone's safe and having a good time. Yeah, And I think that's very comparable to other people who are looking for something else to add to their resume and want to make it in the sports industry. Uh, but are unwilling to put their time into a grassroots club or or otherwise. But, you know, you're a perfect perfect example of someone who's willing to go that extra mile, find time somewhere, make a lot of sacrifices, and it's worked out extremely well for you. So I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I think it's a thing that's worth recognizing
6: yeah it's funny you say that like I remember there would be times where I'd be on the train on the way into work work being at the MCG um, particularly when I was an usher and I'd always think oh like what if I run into someone from work or what if I run into my boss or whatever <laughs> and I did a couple of times and they'd always say to me you know on the Monday or the following week you were so buzzed doing what you were doing like it just seemed like you genuinely loved your work and it's just a reminder that you know sometimes you have to sort of throw um prestige or what you think, your self-perception or whatever it might be um, to try and forge or follow your
1: dream. Mm -hmm. So Ryan, as you can see, Ollie experienced something that eventually had to give. He did this incredible workload for two and a half years. I don't know how he did it. I felt like I stretched myself in the last 18 months of my degree. I don't know if I could do an extra 12 months on top of that. Um, But for those people who are doing the extra uh, going the extra mile and doing the extra yards like Ollie is um, and who might feel close to burning out, who might think I've invested all this time, I don't know if it's going to be mm. worth it. The reality is that you are constantly building skills and networks with every single day that you spend grinding it out. And I love Ollie's as an example because I think the more that you invest in it, the greater chance you have of someone seeing your value. And in Ollie's case, he was he stood out amongst the other people at the MCC um, uh even whilst Collingwood fans were throwing beer across him <laughs> and all this other sorts of stuff, he didn't have to be there. He had yeah. a Monday to Friday job that was keeping him afloat. Um, but all that led to him getting his dream job. And his dream job is something that, you know, you've got to be in the top 1% of people to do. And to, yeah. do, to get that, he's done something that only 1% of people are prepared to do. Uh, you might have heard me mention in that clip that I think – it takes an extraordinary level of humility to actually say, yeah. you know what, you know, this isn't beyond me. I might be a consultant at a big, fancy, big four company, but I'm willing to go and do some smaller stuff on the weekend in the area mm. that I'm really passionate about because that's where I want to get to. Um, uh, Carlo Kasparian from episode 20, way back when, is another perfect perfect example. When he was 29 years old and everyone else is probably like, I'm just settling into my career. Yeah. I don't need to do anything else different. I don't need to volunteer. He was still going out there and volunteering Uh, and that experience allowed him to step into the general manager role at Football Australia as general manager of media and marketing and his most recent project was covering the Socceroos qualifying for the World Cup which has just gone bananas on social. So I know it might sound daunting but it is incredible once you break through. Now to give people a bit of uh, motivation to keep persisting, We've got one last clip from Kelly Ryan. Kelly Ryan is the CEO of Netball Australia from episode 187. Just have a listen to how Kelly went about breaking through the door at the Western Bulldogs. In doing a bit of research, we found out that you started way back at the Western Bulldogs by just literally knocking down the door with, I think, 50 unanswered voice messages. How did your journey to Netball Australia begin?
2: I did. I literally harassed uh, potentially uh, the the HR manager at the Western Bulldogs at the time, back in the early two thousands. So, vastly different landscape to how it is uh, today. And the persistence paid off because he literally succumbed um, to the pressure of of my messages um, and agreed to meet with me. And uh, and I'll you know never forget those moments. There's moments in your career where you just can't forget. And the first thing he said to me, I think even before he even said hello, was, "We have no jobs here." <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fine, great. I'm,
5: I'm here. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a, it.
2: Was a win to me just to be, yeah. you know, stepping inside the, the, the four walls of the Bulldogs. Um, and then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. So there were jobs wow. there. Uh, it's just a matter <laughs> yeah. of having the will and the energy, I suppose, to to not relent on what it is that you want to do. And, and then from there, it's literally, you know, spent 15 years in the AFL industry, trying all sorts of different experiences and. That was one thing that I really set my mind to because, I, you know, I did decide probably about ten years ago that I, I wanted, I had this ambition of of being a CEO. Naturally, probably assumed it would be in the AFL space um, in some way, shape or form. So, I just took every opportunity when something arose, whether or not it was really, you know, clear in my skill set, just to grab it with both hands and and have a go at it. So. That led me from the Bulldogs into AFL House, um, doing some marketing activity there. Then I went to the Gold Coast and helped start the Gold Coast Suns. Back to the Bulldogs again for another stint um, (laughs) across the premiership year in 2016 and also starting the women's team in 2017. Um, Then into Marvel Stadium uh, and then from there to to Netball Australia. So there's no career plan that I don't think actually has everything completely mapped. So you've got to be prepared to just take some leaps of faith, some mm. you know, make some big decisions along your way in terms of does this move help me to get to my next move? The answer is who really knows. Um, but taking some risks along the way certainly uh, certainly pays off, I think.
1: I don't know if I could <laughs> message a football club 50 times over and get rejected no. every single time and still be willing to get back up and message them again.
0: My uh, – yeah, I'd be shot. Like <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't do it. Mm. But it just shows how – quality Kelly is mm.
1: for going that far. Exactly Obviously right. Committed. That's it. And that's what every one of these people have got. They're super committed to, to getting there. And I think, you know, for anyone listening who is questioning whether they've got what it takes or whether there is opportunity out there that's worth it. Um, these people were all regular people when they started out, they've just worked incredibly hard and that can be you too. In terms of what's coming up, if you're in Australia, there is an incredible amount of opportunities in this country. Yeah. You've got the T20 World Cup, which is on our doorstep. You've got the FIBA Basketball Women's World Cup coming up as well. You've got the FIFA Women's World Cup coming up next year too. You've got Commonwealth Games. You've got Netball World Cups. You've got two Rugby World Cups. And then you've got the Olympics in Brisbane in 2032. And if you are half interested in the sports industry, you want to be a part of these moments because it is amazing. Both you and I know how good it is to to be a part of the action. And so if you are looking for a bit of a barometer as to where you're at, you know, do you have what it takes? Are you doing enough right now? Mm. One way to check in on yourself is just to stop, have a look around at your peers and ask yourself, am I doing the same, less or more than the people around me? And that will be your answer as to what you need to do next. But – Keep going because there's an incredible amount of opportunity. There's some incredible examples in the last 100 episodes. I'd encourage you to go back through those episodes. We'll put links to all of them in our show notes if you want to check them out. But um, follow those eight principles and you should be in good stead. You should get a job in sport without getting lucky. That's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome, <laughs> mate. Well, 200 episodes. Jeez, uh, I'm still stunned. I can't <laughs> believe we got here. I can believe it. But I wouldn't have said we'd get here after the first one. That was very <laughs> funny. But um, a big thank you, obviously, to to you who right now we're coming through your ears uh, for listening in uh, because we absolutely love doing what we do, and we love the fact that you guys enjoy listening to us talk and sometimes ramble to each other. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely amazing, and we we just hope that you you get something from it, and and you're able to take what we're saying, and maybe you know might be five percent of it, might be hundred percent of it. it, might be 100% of it. <laughs> But something has helped you on your journey and your continuous journey uh, in life or in sport. Uh, we absolutely love it. So thank you to the listeners, thank you to our members as well. We are we're nearing four hundred members in the sports community. Absolutely buzzing community. The support we get in there is amazing, um, that continues to come through on uh, on the podcast as well um deacon of course as we said at the top of the episode massive thank you to them sponsor the show they've been with us since absolute day dot uh, and continue to support us very very closely so we're super thankful to you and of course our investors who allow (laughs) us to do this full time uh they've given us a massive support uh both personally financially everything in between uh they allow us to keep keep rolling and, and keep the podcast rolling, but all the other facets of sports grade continue to uh, to grow. So super thankful for, for all that. And everyone else who supports us as well. You might not listen every week. <laughs> you might have listened to one episode, whoever it might be on LinkedIn, socials, whatever. We're super thankful to all of you out there.
1: Beautiful. Well said. What should we do to celebrate?
0: Um, well, I don't know. Have a beverage or we can go get lunch maybe uh, yeah let's do that yeah we can go get lunch there's nice toasties around the corner perfect yeah (laughs) (laughs) awesome well as per usual we'll wrap up the show on a normal note but uh thank you for tuning in uh connect with us on linkedin plus be sure to jump into the sports grad community you can visit our website at sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or, of course, connect with us on LinkedIn. We can give you all the information on there and in our show notes. Uh, if you do love the show, we would love for you to rate the show five stars. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can subscribe on Apple. No, you can rate on Apple and you subscribe on Spotify. I nearly got that right. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Give us five stars. We love all of you. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.